and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the only weekly Hearts dedicated podcast that we're aware of, reviewing a couple of contrasting matches and a mix of positivity and negativity. And that's not just going to be with me one side and Mark Donaldson the other, is it, Mark? No, no. I don't know if it's New Year or New York, so wherever we end up with this, um, hopefully it'll be entertaining, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit to talk about. I am coming to you from Musselburgh <laughs> on a cold, actually it's got colder uh, this week, a cold Thursday evening, and Mark, I can hear birds chirping <laughs> behind you, that's not sound effects. <laughs> No, no, yeah. This I'm in. I'm in uh, the Sheraton Hotel in Phoenix um, on a work trip uh, for a new baseball show that I'll be hosting. I'm doing some interviews, so I'm currently sitting in a, a wedding garden or a garden that's going to host a, a wedding reception tomorrow, overlooking <laughs> a pool. And it's uh, see, I would say it's about 77 degrees, but in your money, that's what I don't know, 24, 25. Anyway, it's, it's very pleasant. So the, the birds are chirping, and if you need me to keep them quiet, then. Uh, I'm sure I'll find a way. I tell you, 24, 25 would feel like 77 to, to, <laughs> us, to us over here. You, right? you, you guys have had nice weather, I believe. We have recently, but the last few days it's got a little colder. Um, so... Oh, diddums, it's February, come on. I'm going back to snow tomorrow. <laughs> I know, so just I know. give me this, please, give me this. <laughs> I will. And uh, on point, on topic... Um, we will have quite a lot to talk about this week because since the last show, Hearts have hosted St Mirren and Celtic, both at Tynecastle in the league. So we will talk about both of those games and we've had some responses and bits of feedback from listeners about the matches and how they're feeling about things generally at Tynecastle. We will talk about 2005-2006 again, which is kind of an ongoing theme at the moment. And we'll look ahead to a massive game for Hearts coming up next week, which is Partick Thistle against the Jambos in the quarterfinal of the Scottish Cup. So all that to come in the next, I'll optimistically say, an hour. And we'll try and keep it that way. So first up, Mark, let's take each game um, uh, one at a time, first of all. So we'll start with St Mirren. So Hearts went into this game... After that, fairly disappointing defeat to Motherwell in the end after that late goal, the um, free kick following the Ben Gruccio red card. So, not surprisingly, a few changes from Craig Levine. For this side, as Hearts took on bottom of the table, St Mirren, who'd only won once in 12 league games since they'd last played Hearts. So, four changes. Um, Hearts went, not surprisingly, back to a back four with Christoph Berra in there. Uh, but quite surprisingly, John Souter at right back. Um, Bobby Zlamal returned in goals. And one thing that stood out for me, certainly when you looked at the team setup, was that out of the 11 players, and of course, well, the 10 outfield players, there was only one wide player. It was a, a very um, narrow team, to say the least. I don't know if we would be going into this conversation as in-depth if we'd won the game uh, I know we would have spoken about the formation because we do that every week in the team selection. Bizarrely, it seemed a wee bit of square pegs and round holes. And look, when Craig Levine or whichever manager names a formation and names a team, um, you, you, you put yourself up there for praise or, or criticism. Praise if it works, 
criticism if it doesn't. Um, and ultimately, the score, however the performance was, was was uh, two dropped points for Hearts, and ultimately wasn't good enough. And one thing about the team now, before kickoff, it was being kept very under wraps. Craig Levine had clearly wanted to keep his selection as secret as possible, and mainly the fact that John Suter was going to be playing at right back and Di Camona would be in the centre. I think a few people thought maybe Di Camona would be right back. Um, now, to me, this is one thing that you know Jimmy Sanderson and I were talking about. I don't know, is Craig Levine overthinking some little things? Because to me, you know, playing Suter at right back or playing Suter in the centre, they're, they're decisions to be made, but... My main problem was the way we played, not necessarily the formation or if you're going to put this player here, this player here. And it's just shifting things around, you know, put players in the best positions as much as you can, but then focus on what our method is going to be in terms of breaking them down. So, I mean, we're not going to go into depth about submitting because we have a few things to talk about. You know, it was a tricky game for Hearts. Dicamora put them in front, looked like they'd maybe done enough to scrape it when they got that goal, but St Mirren got a leveller, um, both these goals in the second half, Sean Clare with an unfortunate own goal, but overall, I thought St Mirren were the better side, you know, Hearts had lots of the ball, they huffed and puffed, but St Mirren looked more dangerous than Hearts, and it was very worrying to me that, you know, the side languishing at the bottom of the table came to Tynecastle, and we just had no ideas how to break them down at all. I actually finished listening to last week's podcast, and I only had about four minutes to go, which um, I, I actually listened to after the St. Mirren game, uh, and it was it, it was kind of pertinent because I'd made the comment about watching the second half of their game up at Aberdeen and seeing how they fought and scrapped for absolutely everything, and said that ability-wise we'd be fine if we played well, if we didn't and we weren't prepared to to scrap, then we, we might be in a bit of bother and. I think the thing that got me about, about that game, and I see similarities um, between the way we played against Celtic and the way St Mirren played against us. I think without a tempo, which I don't think we had against St Mirren, we, we have this, uh, it's not an inability, it's an ability to, to play far too many passes, but they're, they're slow. We don't move the ball about quick enough. And when you've got a well-organised side like St Mirren, um, they did to us what they did to Aberdeen. Now, it's an interesting question. Does Craig Levine overthink it as well? I've, I don't recall too many times that you and I have sat down for a podcast and it's just been the same again. We've won. Fine. Just do whatever. I mean, you, you've got the, the performance. You've got the result. So let's just go again. We haven't had the performance that often. We haven't had the result too often. So I understand why there's been tweaks. But that was a big change with, with Suter at right back. But my issue was three, four, five touches when one or two would do. Mm-hmm. You watch other leagues, you watch better teams, and you see how quickly they move the ball. Um, even dis- despite the fact that, that better teams do that, that doesn't stop Hearts from doing it. They might not have the same uh, quality of players. The issue I've got is that when you have a well-organized side, and the majority of the time they had nine men behind the ball, um, plus the goalkeeper, and they, they kind of kept one up. And at times, everyone was back. You've got to move the ball quicker to try and get around them, to try and get through them. We didn't. So as good as the Celtic game was to an extent in the second half and in, in spells as well, we were as good there and we did the right things as we did the wrong things and were poor against St Mirren. So we have to learn from these two games and, and find a formula going forward. And I think one of the big 
problems. And I, and I said this after the St Mirren game um, when we looked ahead to Celtic. And I said to a few folk um, in the pub and talking afterwards, I said, I, I won't be surprised if we'll turn up against Celtic. And I wouldn't be stunned if we got a result against Celtic. But that doesn't necessarily solve the problem that when we are confronted by a side who don't want to come at us and want to say, well, you know, you break us down, you're at home or you're the perceived favourite here. We so often now struggle to think of anything beyond knocking the ball around. We don't seem to have another another option. If, if, you know, if the route we're going with, which has changed slightly a couple of times, as you mentioned, doesn't work. It just seems to resort to pedestrian, low-tempo football. And yeah, the Celtic game, you know, I can accept defeat to Celtic, you know, because it, realistically, if Hearts and Celtic... It's expected. Yeah, and the thing is, we'll get into the Celtic game, and I, I don't think this class is... I don't think this point works necessarily for this Celtic game, because I don't think Celtic actually played that well, but if Hearts and Celtic play each other, and both teams turn up and play to their maximum, Celtic will win, because Celtic have better players. I can take that. I can take that throughout the season. I, you know, I, I'd like to think we'll give them a good game and get some results against them, but our bread and butter should be those games, especially home games against St Mirren, against Livingston, against Dundee. But that's four games against those sides that we failed to win at Tynecastle. Yes. To me, that's totally unacceptable. I mean, I can accept defeats against Celtic and we can get performances against Celtic, which can give us hope, but we should be doing much better against these other sides. And that's where I think Craig Levine is, to me, looks like he's running out of ideas or just doesn't have ideas just now. It's 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 too much of the same thing, I think. It's just slow and easy to defend against. When we played Kilmarnock at Murrayfield, the game I was over for, mm-hmm. that was the last time that Hearts lost a home game until Celtic, I think, won at the end of last season. And we were proud of this home form. We were proud that no one had come and had been able to beat us since the new stand had been put up. And the start of this season, we beat Celtic, and you're thinking, yeah, this is decent, but Hearts have played 15 times at home this season. They have failed to win on more times than they have lost, than they have actually won. Yeah. Seven wins, and on eight occasions, they've not won. Four draws and, and four defeats. That's not good enough. And 18 goals scored at home is woeful. Yeah. I mean... Celtic, 41. Rangers, 36. Right, yeah, That's expected. Aberdeen, 27. Kelly, 22. Hibs, 23. These are all goals scored at home. Livingston have scored three more goals at home than Hearts have. So the home form hasn't been good enough. <laughs> Granted, we, we fairly helped them with that, though. <laughs> no, I know, I know that. I know that. And This is a tough one because you'd said to me, um, I think it was either at the start of the week, um, look, do, do you want to do on Monday uh, and talk about the St Mirren game or do you want to wait until Thursday and do one when we can talk about both? And it's weird because I was angry after that St Mirren game and I was frustrated. And it's, it's weird because we got a point there and we got nothing from Celtic yet. Coming out the Celtic game, it was an initial anger followed by pride that this is how Hearts, we want Hearts to play. The fans were pissed off, understandably so, after St Mirren. And that was when they got something, albeit they expected to get more. But the fans probably, in the cold light of day, after the Celtic game, thought to myself, or thought to themselves, you know what? And I, I put a tweet out saying, if we play like that most weeks with that intensity, we'll be fine. And I totally believe that. The fans just want to see something. They want to see passion, and they, they want to see uh, quality and ability. And, and beating teams like Dundee and St Mirren, 
And games against Celtic, that, that should be expected. It should be. We've, there's no point in raising your game for Celtic if you're not going to show that same intensity and tempo when Dundee and St Mirren come, which means a different, a different ideas. It means a different game plan. It means a plan B or a plan C. This is February, Laurie. We're about to go into March, and we still haven't worked out how to get the better of teams that are going to come to Tynecastle and put men behind the ball and shut up shop. That's not good enough. And I think one issue as well, now this doesn't, again, count for the Celtic game, but for the St Mirren game and a lot of games like that, I don't know what our game plan is. I couldn't, I haven't, I couldn't work it out. Like, you know, Craig Levine teams in the past, you know, and Craig Levine, Mark won at heart. So um, he got a lot of criticism, but I enjoyed that period, especially at Tynecastle. And it was very simple a lot of the time. It was 4-4-2 and it was quick and it was direct. It, it, you know, it wasn't like Craig Levine tried to play possession football and break down opponents week in, week out. We'd often play with, you know, Mark DeVries and Andy Kirk or Mark DeVries and Graham Weir. You'd play a big striker and a small striker. You'd play, you know, a Valois and a Boyack out wide. You'd try and get the ball up the park quickly and you'd try and get the ball out wide. you get crosses into the box. You'd play to your strength. And it didn't always work, but I understood what he was trying to do and I, I don't mind that. Games like the submitting game and a lot of games for us, especially at home, because we seem to be okay on the counter-attack away, but see at home, I don't know what we're trying to do often. Yeah, and that, that's, that's a good point. It's a good point because two things. Different players have different attributes, okay? But, but players are, they like simple things, right? They like to be told, this is your job, go and do it. Is it too complicated for some of them? The constant changing of, of formation or team or tactics or whatever, can we just simplify things? You, you mentioned earlier, is, is, is Craig Levine overcomplicating things? I don't know. You'd have to ask the, the players about that. But the, this is a different type of frustration for me. And this is the second point, because I was, you know, what I was like in, in the kind of December period when I was I went through a spell where everything was just the worst ever. And then I kind of looked ahead and was trying to be positive and say, right, when everyone's back, we've got this run of games. If everybody's fit, we'll be fine. We had that run of games. We weren't fine. And all the players are back. And it's a different type of frustration. And there's a, there's a different type of frustration from the St. Mirren game as there is from the Celtic game as well. And on that note, we'll move on to the Celtic game because we've got a lot to cover. So, again, there was four changes to the heart side. Um, they went with a 4-2-3-1, which was pretty much the, what they started with against St Mirren. Uh, but they did bring two fullbacks in, so Jamie Brandon came in for his first start since 2017, only second appearance of the season, and Marcus Godinho came back in, and Godinho was on the right, Brandon was on the left. Um, and Hart started this game. Now, there, there was a clear game plan. There was a clear approach in this one, and it was to do what I thought, what they did in December 2017, which was yes. play with a very high line, a very high intensity closing game and try and force errors from Celtic and get the ball quickly and pressurise uh, Neil Lennon's side. And it was working. You know, I thought it was working very well. Scott Brown had a, a decent effort, which Bobby Slamal saved. But apart from that, in the opening 35, 40 minutes, I thought Hearts were the better side. Um Sean Clare had a terrific volley from an Ollie Lee corner, which was saved. Um, Ikpiezu probably should have scored a header from the resulting corner. Stephen Naismith almost capitalised after a bit of a defensive error. And at that point in the game, I was thinking, 
I'm going to be disappointed if we don't win this game, let alone if we don't get a draw. Mm. Um, and then came the, the sucker punch, which can often happen against Celtic. And that was the only difference, I thought, from the first half in this game to the first half in December 2017 when Hearts won 4-0. Hearts didn't take their chances this time, and Celtic were clinical when they got the break, which was to just, you know, get forward to devastating effect. It was a really good counter-attack, to be fair. Um, but even at that point, I wasn't overly disheartened. I was disappointed, but I still felt, you know, we're, we're well in this. We can definitely get back in this game. And then came the moment which is still irking me <laughs> without try, trying to avoid adding sweary words this week, um, was the red card to Jamie Brandon, which I thought was a nonsense, to be honest. I thought the referee was desperate to get that red card out of his back pocket. Um, clumsy, clumsy challenge, you know, definitely a foul. I thought this day and age he'll get a yellow card. And as soon as I saw him reach into that back pocket, you know, fumbling with that back pocket with excitement, it would seem, um, I, I was in disbelief. And I was even more um, disbelieving when I heard some people at halftime in the press area for certain organisations saying they thought it was a red card. Don't know about your view on this one, Mark. Okay. Um, I'll go through a few points. One about the red card. Mm-hmm. If he gives a yellow there, I think there are very, very few people who even say, ah, oh, this might have been even a red. It's, it's one of these, if he, if he gives him a yellow, he says, eh, maybe he'll be a bit lucky there, but the majority of people don't even say anything. You, you just get on with it. Another thing, angles are important. Every single person in that stadium had a different angle of that incident um, from everybody else because of where they were. Now, you... The only person that had the angle of the referee was the referee himself. He maybe saw something. It might have looked worse to him than it did. When I first saw it, I thought thought to myself, that's a yellow. And here's an interesting thing. Because I'm watching it on Hearts TV, I was unable to get Sky. Um, That's the truth. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I did try and get Sky. Um, just just <laughs> because offended. of the halftime. No, offended. no, no. That, I did end up watching, and I heard the incredulity in your voice because I watched, I watched it on Hearts TV with with you and Jimmy. Um, but I tried to, for the majority of the first half. I watched it without Twitter um, because I was watching it on my phone in my hotel room, so I didn't have access to another device. But then I was able to get my iPad working with the Wi-Fi, so I actually saw on Twitter before it happened because obviously we were maybe 20 <laughs> seconds in delay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was by the minute Scottish football or something or SPFL had, had put red card. And I thought, for, for hearts. And I thought, oh, God. So I'm hoping, right, I know it's happening. And then you think, right, please not Naismith. Uh, who else? Please not Uchi because Uchi went to, to clear, uh, for, for, he went to challenge Scott Bain. And then the ball went up and Jimmy Brandon went up. And I, honestly, I thought to myself, well, it's not that. And then once he gives the foul, I'm like, oh, yes, it is. And there wasn't the incredulity in my voice because that would have been really weird if I'd started to talk to myself in my hotel room <laughs> with no one else there. Um, but I heard your commentary and you, 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 were, you were befuddled by that. And I know I went through the whole kind of rights and wrongs and laws and everything for the challenge at Motherwell as well. But this is a frustrating one because I thought the game was over. I, I'd given up. I, I 1-0 yeah. down against 10 men against Celtic. So that was, that was annoying. That was frustrating. But then the second half, and they can't say that wasn't coming because there was a couple of moments in the first half they were farting about at the back. Yeah. And there's one thing seeing that, but there's another thing taking advantage of it. And to, to be able to take advantage of it the second time it happened and to get the penalty. And I, 
obviously watching it on a, a little mobile phone screen, um, I didn't really see who was all saying, I want to take this. And I believe that Bozanic uh, took it uh, ahead of Uche and kind of persuaded him. I, I, mm. I don't know if it was agreed pre-match or, or, or whatever for the penalty. Good penalty. And it got us right back into it. And then I just, after, do you know what? I had the feeling before Brandon um, got sent off and before Forrest scored, I had a similar feeling to that game, the 4-0 game. And not that we're going to win this. It was like, a yeah, we're okay here. Mm -hmm. This is as comfortable as we're probably going to be. Then Forrest scores. And that, that for me, was naivety. Because yeah. we left one, one back. Now, you see the speed that they have in their team. Whether it's Forrest, whether it's Sinclair. Burke is pacey as well. That is naive. I, I know the whole set piece, and we're pretty good at set pieces, uh, or have been, and that's why it was frustrating to lose one right at the end. Uh, to a, Not set piece, but to a cross ball. But if you're going gung-ho and sending your, your two centre-backs forward, Berra and Suter, and you've got someone that can deliver well, you still have to have more than one back there. And yeah. that was frustrating. <laughs> and the other point I want, I've not been a fan of, of Scott Brown of, of late. I think he, he's really gone off his, off his game. And I have to say, I don't like him as a player, uh, as far as an opposite. I'd love him in my team, don't get me wrong, like Stevie Naismith. I thought he was excellent. I thought he, he really bossed that midfield and the ball he put in for the winner was was outstanding. But again, it was an outstanding ball because he had time to deliver. And I said to you straight afterwards, I said, oh, it's, it's annoying that Claire didn't follow his man. I watched it again. It's not Sean Claire's fault because the first defender thinks he's going to get it. And Claire's, Claire's positioning is actually all right. And it's just a really good run by Edouard. But it's frustrating that Scott Brown was allowed the time to mm -hmm. put that. But it was a great ball in. I mean, credit where credit's due. Um, but it was frustrating that we, we didn't go. There were two players kind of within five yards and both stood off him. That was annoying because that could have been stopped. I mean, I mean, on the penalty, just a few points we've made there. I think, as I say, the, the, my, my big thing with it is I don't think the referee took a moment to think about it at all. You could see he saw two players jumping. And to be fair... I, you know, um, Tolyan didn't look like he was overly hurt. I think he he was jumping in the air. There was barely any contact between the two players, and they both just fell to the ground. Um, which I don't know if that affected the referee's thinking there. You see the there's a, the arm going up by Brandon, but he doesn't really connect with Tolyan at all, and it's his kind of his forearm which is up there anyway. And I just you could see him running over, and he you know he didn't take a moment to think about it. Tolyan wasn't writhing about. There was no real. There wasn't really an issue there, I didn't think. I think he's making something, making yeah. a problem out of something that doesn't need to be there. It's a challenge in the air. It's clumsy. I know. You're, 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 you're kind of preaching to the convert. It's just annoying because it's happened to us reasonably recently at, at Motherwell. Um, like I, I don't want to dwell on it for, for too long. It's, I mean, I know Demi Mitchell's out for the season now, but hopefully Garucho's back from suspension um, for, for Hearts next game uh, in the league when they, when they go to Dundee after the Partick game. Uh, but two points I just want to bring up. One, I don't know why, the, the Celtic players should not have been um, sent off for the penalty incident, but should have been booked. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's he one, he wasn't, yeah. And the other thing is, Naismith, without any contact from Boyata, would not have skewed that as wide as he did. It was a difficult one. And do you know what? It's the way it looks. Mm -hmm. It looks like there's, 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 there is a coming together this is how it looks, and obviously Naismith skewed the shot wide, but Portobello Hearts put out a tweet, and it was of the incident as well, and when you see it like that, there is a foul, 
before Naismith goes to take the shot. Now, that could have been... If, if, I mean, look, if he doesn't take the shot and he goes down, then it's a red card. But because he takes the shot at the same time, that's when it gets frustrating in that it, it, it kind of looks like it's, it's a coming together of two players and then a poor effort, when it's not actually because he is fouled. But because he gets the shot off, that's probably what's done him. And that's why he, Hearts didn't get that decision. Yeah. I mean, I can ex- t- to be honest... I can accept the Naismith one because when I saw it real time happening, I didn't really oh, I see I a foul. And if the referee doesn't see enough of it, he can't give. Because if he gives a foul because it's outside the box, he's going to have to send Boyata off. So I actually, that one doesn't bother me too much because it's a difficult one and I didn't see it in real time myself. It annoys me more when referees look for things that aren't there because this it's, that, that really frustrates yeah. me. And the penalty, like you said... I mean, a few people messaged me on Twitter at the time saying that's a red card these days. Now, I heard some people saying it, and Jimmy said it in commentary, and I had to... No, it's not a red card these days. It's a yellow now. Because people aren't aware of that if, if someone makes a an attempt to play the ball and it's a penalty, it's yeah, only it's, a it's yellow. Yeah, it's the whole triple but... jeopardy thing, exactly. But but you can't not give a yellow there. It's right, 100%. That's, that's, my, that's <laughs> my point. I mean, do, do you know what I thought was interesting? And, and I, when I do commentaries... Um, I don't remember a lot of them. I remember goal calls or whatever. So I don't know how much you remember of your own commentary um, yesterday. And it, it was good in, in, in fact that I didn't get Sky and I was able to listen to you guys because I can bring this up. There were a number of occasions in the first half especially where referees' decisions for both Hearts and Celtic left you dumbstruck. Yeah. yeah. And Jimmy as well. There, there was a challenge that Uche put in and he got um, on, and, <laughs> yeah. and Hearts got the decision from that, and it's, it's a free kick to Celtic all day long. But the Stevie McLean, for, from what you said in commentary in the first half, and it, I'm right as well, there was a number of baffling decisions mm-hmm. that baffled you, baffled Jimmy, and this isn't just a kind of maroon tinted specs. This is for both teams. Yeah. Some Hearts decisions, you thought, really, they're going to Hearts. Others, you're thinking, how is that not going to Hearts? He just had a he had a baffling game, um, and I just think there was an inconsistency there because it's a yellow card all day long for the Celtic player for the penalty which wasn't given. Now I know there's a lot going on when penalties happen, but you've got to do your job. Yeah, it's an easy one, and I, I mean the final point on the the red card. I think my main issue is consistency as well as the fact that I don't think it's a bad foul. If you give red cards for that, you're going to get four or five red cards every weekend because so many yeah, I mean, challenges in the air result in players' arms and hands going into faces. and So it's it's often not a foul. That'll happen in the box repeatedly during games at corners and free kicks. And most of the time, it's not even a foul. Do you want to compare two things, right? Compare Jamie Brandon's challenge on Tolyan and compare Shemunovic's challenge <laughs> when Celtic played Hibs, right? Shemunovic is worse and he gets a yellow than Brandon, which isn't as bad. And he gets a red. This is what we were talking. This is the point I was trying to bring up last week about the inconsistency of decision and the interpreta- the inconsistency of interpretation of decisions uh, is so frustrating because there should be uniformity. I know it's, it's impossible because you always get different viewpoints of, of different referees. But we, we're, we're, we're going about this business of, of football with one set of laws that everyone has to adhere to. The interpretation... One referee says it was a yellow. One says it was a red. After matches, referees on Sky say, well, he should have been sent off for that. Referees on BT says, I thought it was only a yellow. No wonder fans get confused. 
I'll just look through a few of the messages we've had um, and some interesting points and views in here. Jamie Devlin says, um, the St Mirren game we were honking, whereas last night, which is in reference to the Celtic game, to a man we were excellent, couldn't have asked for more, thought we'd done enough to get a point off Celtic. Only argument for the red is the Simunovic versus Hibbs angle, which you just mentioned, but Jamie thinks that McLean got that one right last night. So, you know, different views on that one. Um, Rob uh, Wright says, play with that intensity and we can match anyone over 90 minutes. Not many teams go down to 10 against Celtic and are still well in the game. Was never a red. Our problem all season has been taking chances and hitting the target. We need to address that. He feels that Uche needs one up with him. He was immense last night, but he is not a finisher. Playing the three behind him is great, but does feel like we are missing a trick by not having someone playing directly off him. That's an interesting point. He's right. Uche was absolutely unbelievable against Celtic. He was terrific, but I suppose he only had really one clear chance to score, which he headed over. But his his general play caused them so many problems. I looked at an angle, a replay angle of the Uche header, and it's a free header. Yeah. I've, sp- I've spoken before about him admitting that heading, he needs to improve upon it. Mm-hmm. That's why he was playing for Cambridge and he wasn't playing in the championship or whatever. If he was playing in the championship, we wouldn't have him. No. We've got, you, you've got a player there that is wholehearted. You, you see his Instagram post just as a guy who is desperate to succeed and, and hopefully that can take him to, to bigger and better things. And if it does, then hearts are going to benefit from it. Um, but he, he's still raw and... And that's the thing. I mean, he's not 100% yet. He's getting back to full fitness. But that happens with all players after they've been out for a period of time. But it was certainly a positive. And, and I think it was Rob's point about, uh, well, two things. One, intensity. And I think, in a way, it's actually good that Hearts are playing Monday night. Not for the fans, because that'll be a nightmare journey along the M8 at drive time. But for the fact that we, we had 10 men working their socks off for 46 minutes of that game against Celtic. And they'll be knackered. So... I'm sure they had Thursday off or maybe a light kind of recovery session or whatever. They'll get a day off between now and the Partick Thistle game. Uh, I wouldn't have fancied that game being on a Saturday. I mean, c- can you imagine that, that Hearts had to play on the early game on a Saturday, uh, hypothetically, if that was picked for TV? I think it's a good thing that, that we have uh, the game on the Monday simply because of the intensity. And the other thing was about Uche and having someone a bit closer to him, and I agree with that as well. Um, just he, He's going to get a lot of second ball. We were speaking about this when we were thinking ahead to the second half of the season. What's Craig Levine going to do? Is he going to play Vanacek or Uche? Is he going to play them both? Now, we know the answer to that now. We thought he might play one and one coming in. Um, But you do need someone. There's going to be scraps. And if the scraps uh, are there, but there's no one close enough, then the scraps are are not going to be uh, taken advantage of. So, yeah, some good points there. Uh, Callum Taylor mentions, he says, I really hope there's some way we can keep Doom proved himself undoubtedly as our best midfielder recently, and extending his contract would be a real statement of intent, uh, which is a good point as well. I think Arnold Doom is one of the underrated players in that Hearts team, and he maybe suffers a bit from some of the media uh, frenzy about him you know, potentially looking for moves elsewhere, and a lot of things were taken out of context, I think, with that one. He does say, I'm generally an optimist, but I feel good about the team, still capable of going on to catch Killy in fourth, although suddenly you look down and realise how close Hibs are, which is true. Um, also in a great position to go on to our second National Cup semi-final this season, touch wood. Look, let's, let's, let's um, make no bones about this. Hearts' season comes down to Monday night. And if Hearts win it, I think the semis are in April. So, yeah. I mean, 
you've got the whole of March to, to look forward to. It's like when they used to have the semi-finals of the League Cup uh, in January, February. I didn't like that, but if you got through to them, it was always something to look forward to. If we lose on Monday night, and I'm <laughs> desperately hoping I'm wrong, and I don't think we will, but if, if we were to lose on, on Monday night, um, there'll be no cup. Hibs are only three behind, and they have a plus 11 better goal difference than us. That's a big concern. We win on Monday night. We're through to the semi-final of a National Cup competition. doesn't matter if Hibs, Celtic, or whoever get through there. We'll be there, mm-hmm. and that will allow us to kick on. If we don't win, I, I don't know how you pick the players up from that. So that's going to be a warning enough to go and get the job done on Monday for the Hearts players. Let's hope the Dunsire commentary jinx doesn't continue in terms of still not having been to Hamden <laughs> in <laughs> almost six years covering Hearts. But yeah, touch wood. Um, Michael Harley says the quick passing and movement in the first half plus slick set piece moves suggests a lot of hard work and training, great fight and application also. Putting that all together, more consistency is of course the challenge. Uche was immense, he's back. Um, he also mentions, and for individual matters, Sean Clare was outstanding at right back second half. Celtic didn't get a sniff, don't agree with the red card and, um, and others can uh, go through decisions. Uh, Scott Brown's cross for the winner was genius. Great moment, yeah, I mean, it, not for it, us. It was, yeah. No, and it, it was good. Hats off to that. But again, he doesn't get the chance to put that cross in if he's if he's closed down. Uh, also, a tweet from David Aitchison, more optimistic after last night, not just for Partick, but the weeks ahead. This is an interesting point. Playing Ackies and Dundee away might suit us more than at home, as they should come out to play a little bit more. Plus, Aberdeen Hibs Rangers will also be more open games, which we seem to fare better. That's a good point mm-hmm. um, yeah. from, from David as well. Quickly go through a couple more. Anne um, uh, Waddle says, Feared the worst prior to the Celtic game, but team played well. Never a red card for Brandon. Deserved to take something. St Mirren, we were woeful. Part it could be a difficult tie, but should get through if we play as we can and players put in the effort. Well, just before you get to the next one, I'll give you a chance to look for a, another one. There was a lot of comments because um, I asked for your thoughts or fans' thoughts after the St Mirren game. Um, for us to discuss on Around the Funnel. So thank mm-hmm. you for all the comments. Obviously, there was absolutely loads. So we're trying to pick out some of them. But the, the main theme was uh, there was a lot of talk about, about Craig Levine and a lot of fans not happy at him. What I would say about that, and look, depending on which camp you're, if you're in, the Craig Levine um, is good camp, then you get stick from the Craig Levine is bad camp and, and vice versa. We're at the end of February, beginning of March. Now, as much as these comments are very welcomed, um, they're far more pertinent if the comments are made following a whole season. So it's one of these... So Those are comments based on on a poor result against St Mirren. Um, Comments will be welcomed at the end of the season, and it'll be interesting to see, because it'll it'll all depend if if Hearts have won a cup, if Hearts have lost to Partick, if Hearts don't finish above Hibs, if Hearts are or not in the top six, top four, or whatever. So as much as the comments were very welcomed, and obviously we were all angry after the St Mirren game, and a lot of people weren't happy at Craig Levine, a little bit of my famous perspective that I've been trying to ask for in that those, those comments will be perfectly pertinent at the end of the season if we've had a poor ending to the season, and they'll be a lot more poisonous. But we just have to wait until then to see what we achieve. Because if imagine Hearts won, an F, uh, won the, the, the Scottish Cup, I mean, there'd be very few saying that Craig Levine's not the right man for the job. But that's the fickle nature <laughs> of football. Well, Amoruso lets it run. I'll give you one more. It says, uh, 
the past few days encapsulates Craig Levine's second spell in charge. When playing, <laughs> when playing a decent side who want to play at a good tempo, our high press and desire to win second balls in midfield shines through. But for all the other matches, we are two or three decent, creative and pacey players away from putting runs together that would see us push harder for a top three spot. I want to see Craig Levine win a trophy more than I have any other manager. But for me, even if that happens this year, I would like to see some new ideas moving forward. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the whole system that Hearts have in place has been interrupted with the Holy and Cathro thing. Um, and and look, there was there was talk way back that it was going to be Jack Ross and then Stevie Crawford after Robbie Neal, blah blah blah. And then, so you can have plans in place in theory. Um, I'm not sure if and look, I, I'd love nothing more than a Craig Levine managed heart side to to be celebrating a trophy as well. Uh, I, I I don't know how well Hearts fans would receive it if and when Craig decides to to go back to his director of football role, which I don't think will be in the short term, and I hope it's not as well because I hope Hearts are successful. But you've got to have a contingency uh, plan, and if Hearts are not successful, and for whatever reason either Craig decides that he wants to move back to his his other role, or Hearts decide that he should move back to his other role, I'm not sure if many Hearts fans would be overly enamoured right now with the likes of John Daly and Liam Fox taking over. But that, that's the structure that's in place. And again, we, we can speculate right now, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. And, and let's just let this season play out. Um, and hopefully we can, we can trust the decision makers at Tynecastle. Scatchell trying to come in there. Still has a chance. And he scored. Scatchell gets the equaliser. Okay, back to, to simpler and, in fact, not simpler at all. Scrap that. Back to mental, crazy, ridiculous times. For Hearts fans, um, season 2005-2006, which we're going to have little snippets of over the next few shows because it's so hard to delve into it in too much depth. Um, Certainly in the time that we have after ranting and discussing current affairs. Um, So I'm going to start with an email, actually, because um, we've had one in to the podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk email address. Uh, and it says, Dear Mark and Laurie, the, I like starting with a nice formal introduction. Um, yeah, Mark ahead of Laurie. Yep, I like that. Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> You'll be claiming alphabetical order should be before next. beauty. Um, I'll give you that one. The, the best obscure memory I have from 2005-2006 season was the 1-0 win when Bednar scored the front post header from a Hartley corner. That's against Rangers. Um, now, I always remember this for one reason. I was eight years old at the time and enjoying my first season as a season ticket holder. During that game in the second half, Elvis halved, halved Nacho Novo, which I think is uh, uh, means he snapped him, basically, um, almost literally, who was being given stick all day long from myself and my father also. Novo was eventually stretchered off, and after the game, we found out Elvis had broken Novo's leg. We lived in, that's not his favourite part, by the way, of the season. Um, we lived in Glasgow and travelled through for the game. And on the Sunday afternoon, the day after the game, we went to Brayhead Shopping Centre in Glasgow. As we got out of the car in the car park, we seen crutches coming out of this big Audi next to us. It was Novo. Me, eight years old, full of life because my team were winning and top of the league, was there, bold as brass, in my brand new hearts away top. Novo's eyes went straight to my shirt. and My dad uh, was quick to notice and asked him how he was... Um, telling him it looked bad from the stands. To, to Nacho's credit, he took it in great spirits and had a chat with us uh, on the way into Brayhead, telling us her, that we had a good chance this season. Uh, all in all, he was a very nice man considering the circumstances. 
although my dad could not help himself um, as he sniggered uh, away laughing about Elvis's tackle and everything that was said about him during the game. We were top of the league, so we deserved the arrogance. Um, great podcast, boys. Listen every week. It would be great to hear you talk about transfer rumours and players we'd like to see at heart, seeing as Craig Halk has been touted as a pre-contract signing and maybe some former or current players joining you for an episode. All the best from across the pond in Florida, Crawford Jeffrey lifelong jambo so thank you for that Crawford um really good message and in, in reference to the game what your other points are, are things we'll, we'll consider as well for the podcast um in terms of your point about that game that game actually the goal in that game was possibly my favorite moment of the season and it's not an obscure one mainly because that Hearts Rangers game when Hearts were on that winning run at the start of the season I'd been accustomed as you probably had been to when you play Celtic or Rangers, you go into the game and it's usually a bit of trepidation and there's so much buoyancy, so much arrogance and confidence from the away end at Tynecastle. It's Celtic or Rangers fans up and down, full of it. You know, They go into the game thinking, we're much better than you. We're going to turn up and we'll probably slaughter you. And it didn't always happen, but that was the general feeling. Whereas there was maybe a nervous excitement from the home fans, but usually there were nerves and you knew deep down that, you need them to have an off day and you need to be your very best to get anything. But that game was the first time I remember going into a game against Rangers or Celtic and I thought, we're better than them. And it felt like all the confidence was coming from the home end. And the away end looked, they just looked nervy. They weren't their usual um, arrogant and arrogant selves. It wasn't that usual bravado. And it almost felt like it was expected. When that header went in, it's like, here we go. That's what we were waiting for. We knew it was coming and it just felt like the tables had turned completely. And although it was short-lived, relatively speaking, of course, Hearts did not ride high for the full season. And even in the top two, it was just that one season. But in that moment and in that game, I remember feeling in Section G, looking over to the away end, the away fans, we're better than you. This is how it's felt. This is what it must have felt like being at your side of these games all these years. So many like memories. We asked for memories of 05, 06. And so, so many of them that that I have, just looking through the the season, uh, even a 2-0 win at Queen's Park when Jankowskis played like it was a Champions League final that he'd been in, you thought, wait a minute here, there's, there's something about this team, the start to the season, the win at Kilmarnock. Even when we were behind against Falkirk, uh, Presley got his own goal. There was something about that team. You still thought, we can get something from that. And that was a Presley hat-trick, which a couple of people have, yeah, have tweeted yeah. about, all, all, albeit two of them were for Hearts and, and one was for uh, was for Falkirk, the opener, um, or the second goal for Falkirk. The Celtic game, that we the uh, that we got the equaliser, um, Rudy Skatchel, mm-hmm. that one as well. Um, and Look, the, the the first kind of uh, look, we, we chucked the League Cup tie at Livingston, which was frustrating, but but still, um, going through them, I, I remember I remember the Aberdeen game in the cup. By the way, the, the quick starts that Arts made, uh, games were over by half time, and I remember um, as that season got momentum. So many people were just putting, not, not bets on hearts to win, hearts to win halftime, full time, and they were cleaning up because bookies were still offering odds of, of two, two to one when hearts were odds on favourites. Um, the Aberdeen game was an interesting one, the Scottish Cup tie, because that was the game at the start of February uh, in 2006 when <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never forget. Um, we obviously got to the game early to set up for whoever we were commentating for at the time. I think it was Hearts back then and doing stuff for Radio 4th as well. And I said, I said, attack his fissas. 
<laughs> said to him, you looking forward to the game today, Packers? And he, he, he looked at me and he's like, shook his head. What's wrong with you? He goes, I have been told I am ill. <laughs> so you, what? He goes, I have been told I am ill. I said, what, what do you mean? He goes, um, he's looking around as if to say, oh, who's looking? I can't really say too much. But he, 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 he basically said that um, he's nothing wrong with him. But they wanted Jose Gonzalez yeah, to, to make his debut. That, yeah, yeah, it was, he was just a twenty-year-old. He made his debut that day, and um, he, he wasn't involved. And he, I think there, were, there might even have been another player. Um, but again, going back to the Paul Hartley um, comments to Simon Ferry in that excellent piece, that was well around the time when um, the team was was basically being picked by not the manager, and it was Graham Ricks at the time. Um, and so many stories from Paul, and obviously from that season of after Burley left, because Burley obviously wouldn't listen to a chairman or CEO saying or an owner saying you should be playing him. He'd be like Foxtrot Oscar. Um, see you later. <laughs> but when when Takis said, said, and obviously it was a kind of it was an off the record comment, so it wasn't something that we could report at the time. And you look, you got to be fair. If someone that's a great story. I would have loved to have done it. But hey, fair's fair. Someone tells you something off the record, you can't say it. Yeah. But I mean, I have been told I am ill. That was the story he was to give to people that, that you're not playing because you're ill. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. So many stories about that season, and, and that's just one of the funky ones. Yeah, MJK did say the the unorthodox Elvis hat trick at Falkirk to keep the unbeaten yeah. run going was memorable, as was Rudy telling the Hibs fans to get out after scoring on his derby <laughs> debut at Tyncastle. But no better way to endear yourself to the Hearts fans. Um, he also mentions Valdas attempting to sing the Heart song on the way back from Hamden was hilarious, as shown on the DVD of that season. Um, one thing that I'd mentioned last week, and keep the thoughts coming in on 0506 because we'll keep going, we'll keep talking about it you know, you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk or tweet at around the funnel um, but I mentioned bonuses and for anyone who's not seen the Paul Hartley um, interview, he, he spoke about the bonuses and he, was, he specifically told Simon Ferry what the bonus structure was at the start of the season, it was a 1500 quid per player win bonus but if you were winning consecutive games that went up by 500 quid each game. Now, that means <laughs> that at the start of the season, when Hearts won eight league games in a row, that by that last league win against Inverness, they were on... F- if, for the players who five, played... Five, five grand a win. Five grand <laughs> a win for each player who'd played in every game. Now, that means for like Paul Hartley and for others who played in all the games, that's 26 grand in bonuses alone in in the first two months of the season. And you wonder and why Vlad's now in Chechnya <laughs> running away. You wonder why Ukio Bankis is, is screwed. And you wonder, you wonder why Harps ended up in administration. Gee was. I mean, I, I bet you're thinking, Christ, I should have asked for a bigger um, bonuses for commentating I think, oh, by the way, trying to get that invoice paid was fun that year. Oh, my God. And poor, poor Lawrence and David Southern. I, I got to the point, I was just like, I'll get it when I get it. Because... That was the time where players weren't even getting paid. Well, not that season, of course, but um, as the financial woes due to the bonus structure in 05-06 took hold about five or six years later. But um, it's just just crazy. And obviously, these are players who were all on very handsome 
weekly salaries anyway as well. So just it was just mental and just you know it was just a crazy time to think of and it, it won't happen again and it was ludicrous in many ways but we all look back at it very fondly even though it was absolutely insane in so many levels. Yeah, and even the story of Ibrahim Tall, because when he eventually got into the team, he was a bloody good player. Didn't play and for just, the entire season. Yeah, and he just he wasn't fancied at first, whether it was the manager or whether the owner saying that you're not playing. It was weird, but he, he hung around like a bad smell and was eventually rewarded. I mean, just looking at some of the the kind of on this day or 10 years ago or, or whatever, and you... It's funny seeing some of Lawrence Brody's tweets because he was obviously on the boat that, that Vlad had in pre-season and, um, and they used to dock and go and train and Vlad would disappear, uh, as Paul Hartley was saying, in the middle, middle of the night. No one asked any questions where he was off to. It was just... Do you remember he used to... He, he was on the DVD Boxing Bednar. Yes. It was bloody nuts. He was, was going for it as well. <laughs> oh, he was. He fancied himself. And Paul said he was invited to dinner with Vlad, and he was he was as scared as I was with the rest of the, the Scottish journalists when we we were told that um, Mr. Romanov wanted us to go down to the basement of the vault in his bank in Kaunas um, rather than him going first. Just just so so. I mean, it's something I wouldn't I wouldn't swap for anything. And I was I didn't even play a part. I was on the outside looking in, but I was still lucky to to be on the outside looking in. Um, I remember obviously being part of the, doing the commentary in 05-06 in the final against Gretna with Gary Mackay and, and Stefan Adam, um, getting invited back to the, the, the Murrayfield Stadium afterwards for the, the party. And the, the players were so relaxed and it, it was wonderful. And I, I treasure those pictures. And it, it was it was a great time. The team spirit was, was wonderful. And, I know Hearts fans and everyone says to the players, could you have, could you won the league? It's impossible to tell. And a lot of Hearts players that have actually played in that team weren't sure because they weren't sure that they had the fitness. That's why they, they, they were so good in the first half, first hour, and games were won because Burley knew that in certain games he wasn't sure if they had the fitness to do that. But one of the things, the Dunfermline game, um, that was when the players were, were told at lunchtime that... that that, um, that the manager was no longer at the club. Um, and they still went ahead and they still won that game. And the, I interviewed George Fouts along with every other member of the media afterwards in a media scrum. Uh, just for Hearts to, to win that game and then to finish the season off the way that they did, to get that win over Aberdeen, to avoid having to go to Ibrox to get something. The players deserve the utmost credit for that. But it is the ultimate what might have been. Also, here's Hartley now with a corner kick. That's a goal for Hearts! Roman Bednar gets the opening goal! We're hoping this season uh, won't end with a what might have been, but a lot of that will hinge on Monday night when Hearts play the Scottish Cup quarter-final at Fir Hill against struggling championship side Partick Thistle. Uh, Jamie Devlin message saying, fairly confident we will secure our place in the semi-finals and a return to Hamden on Monday night. Start fast and score early and we should cruise to Hamden with plenty to spare. Bring on one half of the old firm because let's be honest, we aren't getting Inverness or United. <laughs> so, first up Mark, what do we think of this one? We're not, we're not going to spend mm. too long on it, but it's an interesting one because it's away from home but it's against a side who I suppose will be underdogs. They'll be underdogs. There's no doubt about that. And um, 
I'm confident. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthused by the fact that they've they've lost their last two games. I've obviously been keeping tabs on them since the draw was made. Mm-hmm. And they went on a run, which was a, a very good run. Yeah. Uh, they won in Inverness, um, had a good win at, uh, at Aloha as well, which they needed to win because bottom of the table and Aloha close by, that was a good win. Then they went 2-0 up over Ross County. And Ross County had been flying. And they were 2-0 up at half-time. But then they conceded four, and they've conceded three to Dunfermline in their last game. So in the space of a game and a half, they've lost seven goals. So what can we expect from this one? Well, it comes down to the intensity that Hearts play. That's the bottom line, because they're going to set up in a way that will be a little bit more adventurous than if they were playing the game at Tynecastle. But that's still probably going to be maybe one in attack. I don't know. However, Hearts players, the biggest issue I think Hearts have got is complacency because it's the draw that everyone wanted. It's the draw that Hearts have got. So they've got to go there. They've they've got to start quickly. It's something that Craig Levine's been talking about in the last couple of games prior to the Celtic game. He's been disappointed that the players have been slow at the blocks. And he said, I listened to his post-match, sorry, his pre-match interview prior to the Celtic game. And he said that in their intense training sessions that they'd had, they'd worked on only one or two things, which gave me hope. It gave me hope that he wasn't overcomplicating things or the players weren't going to be flummoxed by things that they were asked to do. But it also gave me hope that one of those things was a quick start. And I think we kind of got a decent start against Celtic, but we're going to need it against Partick as well. If we don't get that quick start and we take too many passes, they'll be all over us. And momentum's a huge thing. We've got to take advantage of the fact they've lost seven goals in a in a game and a half. And if we can get off to a good start and score early, I think it will be a pretty comfortable win. But if they can keep us at bay and they go a goal up, it'll be really interesting to see our reaction. And if there's um, anything out there which you prove is a, a warning for Hearts, it is 2005-2006 because, of course, in that campaign, Hearts played Partick Thistle in the quarterfinal at Tynecastle, and that was a Partick Thistle who were in the third tier of Scottish football at the time and Hearts were given a right good run for the money in the end and they went down to 10 men and they were only 2-1 ahead and could easily have been forced to a replay and that was a very talented Hearts side and yeah, this is this is a game that they can't take for granted No, no, and, and look, Partick have got good players Scott McDonald's getting on a little bit and he's been out of the game but he's back and I think he scored in his debut um, away from home and he's a danger Chris Doolan, again, he's another player that he'll not be faced by facing Hearts. This isn't a team that we're playing that are like, oh, God, we're playing, a, we're playing Hearts of the Premier League. No, that, that's not what happened. Gary Caldwell will ensure that's not going to be the case. Just looking at their game against Dunfermline, they played 3-5-2. So I think there could be similarities here between the way Partick line up in this one and the way that St Mirren lined up against us at, uh, at Tynecastle. So we have to come up with ideas. We've got to come up with solutions. How do we get the ball through, around a well-organised side? Because Caldwell will have them as organised as you can be. Now, we have got to have learned our lesson from Dundee, from Livingston at home, from St Mirren at home, that we have to be able to find a way to unlock the defence. Because if we don't, it's going to be a long 90 minutes. Chisnowski is determined to get his shot away. Eight sensational strike. And that might just ensure a place in the semi-finals for Hearts. And we will review that 90 minutes um, uh, next week. So 
Let's maybe be back a little earlier next week with the game happening on Monday. Hopefully Hearts are through to the semi-finals when we talk. If not, well, hopefully they're at least still in the cup and are looking forward to a replay, but we're hoping they can do it on the first time of asking. Um, thanks for joining today, Mark. Um, I think we can hear a few of the bits of traffic and the birds in the background, but we've we've just about managed to get through it from your Arizona garden party. Um <laughs> One thing we haven't done, I don't know if you want to throw out there, is there isn't any homework. Do, do they have a, a week off or school out? No. For, no? No. You put me on the spot. <laughs> but but here's your homework for next week. Your favourite Scottish Cup tie that wasn't a semi-final or a final. Okay. Favourite Scottish Cup tie involving hearts, I'm going to assume. Um, yes. That was not the final or the semi-final. So, yeah. Get or, 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 oh, oh, or, oh, oh. or against... Or against Hibs, because most people would say, well, the Wayne Foster okay. game or, or whatever. Okay. So, again, we're, we're, I'm putting more and more parameters into this one as you well. You are, you if are. You want, yeah, so just, just like a, just a, a daft sort of... I know we did favourite away days as well uh, many weeks ago, but just just a Scottish Cup memory that you have that that is a little bit out there, a little bit different. And if you want to get in touch with us, then we'll, we'll read out the best next week. So you can get in touch with us, the usual channel. So tweet us at Around the Funnel, or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. So, you know, ideas for that were your favourite Scottish Cup ties that uh, weren't the final, weren't the semi-final, weren't against Hibs. There's probably other parameters that we'll have to add in as well, I'm sure. Um, and also anything about 2005, 2006, any more memories that you want to add, we will keep talking about that as well as we think of those crazy times 13 years ago. Uh, but for myself and Mark... We will we'll see you next time and hopefully by then hearts are in the last four of the Scottish Cup. Mm-hmm.